Uh, it's amazing as I've read stories of, of missionaries over the years. Some of them that labored for years and years and years <clears throat> on the field. Adoniram Judson uh, went to Burma, I think it was, if I remember correctly, and uh, had been there eight years and had not seen one convert. He was there for the rest of his life and went through a lot of trouble. And at the end of his life, uh, when he died, they were said that there were over 200,000 Burmese that attended his funeral that had been won to the Lord through his ministry and those that had been saved through his ministry. Just because we don't see the same fruit that others do early on doesn't mean we should throw our hands up and quit and say, well, we just don't have it. God's the one that brings glory to those things. God's the one that prospers those things. Our, our responsibility is to go. His responsibility is to produce fruit. And very important that we understand these things. There was a third message that was given in the latter part, middle part of chapter 2. And this message was given primarily to the priests. And uh, it's a message towards the contamination. And he asks the priests a question. He says, if you've cleansed the inner part, and, and there was a lot of rituals involved in Old Testament practice in the temple. But he, he told the priests, if you've washed the body, and then you, you've got your outer garments on, and you're clean, and you're able to perform the duties of a priest, and your garment, your outer garment, comes in contact uh, with something that is unclean. He said, does that make you defiled also? Well, according to Old Testament practice, yes, it would. And uh, he asked them this question to prove a point to them. He, he was telling the priest, he says, listen, uh, it's these things that are outwardly corrupting you on the inside. And uh, he talks about this a little bit in verse number, uh, let's see if I can get down here, uh, verse number 13 of chapter 2. Let's look there. Uh, let's go to verse 12 just to see it. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. Can I tell you this? This is a, a, a wonderful principle of Scripture that is later vividly shown in the New Testament when the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with the scribes and the Pharisees and he called them hypocrites. And He said, Woe unto them, because they made the outside of the vessel clean, but the inside was corrupt. And he was, he was talking about the importance not only uh, of having an outside vessel that is clean, but also having the inside vessel clean. Contrast, uh, contrast, in contrast to that, if the inside of the vessel is clean, the outside of the vessel needs to be clean too. And we are living in a day where there are a lot of people. In fact, I was watching some, some preachers, some of these online televangelists this week, and some documentaries on some of the things they're teaching and it's appalling to me how much they say uh, that the outside doesn't matter. That if you touch something unclean outside, it, it doesn't matter. Can I tell you this? It corrupts the heart. 
You cannot dabble in the things of the world and not expect it to affect the heart. And so he tells these, he tells these priests, he says, look, this, this, this practice of cleaning the outside and making sure it's purified too so that it doesn't corrupt the inside, uh, he said, that's, that's something that is, I've given to you to represent the importance of living outwardly clean as well. And to make sure that the heart is clean first, and then to keep the, uh, the garment unspotted, because it will bring corruption, bring uncleanness. And he says, such are these people. He said their hearts may be clean, but they're involved in things of the world, and as such, uh, they are unclean themselves. He talked about the priesthood being this way. And so he gives the third message uh, as a, uh, 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 an idea uh, of uh, cleaning this thing up, and he gives them a promise. He promises them uh, that if they will uh, clean these things up, if they'll get these things better, that He will give His blessing to them. Um, and uh, let's see in uh, verse number uh, 15 of chapter 2, And now I pray, consider from this day and upward, from uh, before a stone was laid upon the stone in the temple of the Lord, uh, since those days were, when one came to an heap twenty measures, but there were ten, when one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels of the press, but there were twenty, I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now, from this day and upward, and from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, and consider it, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, and the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day, will I bless you. In other words, he said, when you were disobedient, when you weren't doing the things you were supposed to do, I took my hand of blessing off of you. But now that you're obedient, now that you're going to begin doing these things for me, he says, I'll put my hand of blessing back on you. Then the fourth message comes from verse number 20 and down. And that is a promise of future blessing. I'm not going to go into all the detail because, Lord willing, I'm going to deal with this maybe in a... In fact, I might deal with this next Sunday uh, because we're getting close to the Christmas season. And there's a very interesting thing that takes place here in chapter 2 of Haggai. And this is the location in Scripture where it happens. But uh, notice what he says here. And we get. I'm going to read down from verse 20 down to verse 23. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of thy kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. This is a prophetic declaration that God is going to use Zerubbabel, and he does here, to bring together the lineage of the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to go into all the things this week, but Lord willing, we'll study it next week, perhaps as a follow-up to this. But uh, God cursed... Uh, the Davidic line uh, under uh, Jehoiakim. Uh, Jehoiakim was his father. He was a wicked, wicked king. And when Jehoiakim came in, uh, he took the, the wickedness of his father and manifold times was more wicked. The most wicked king that Israel ever had. And God cursed him and said, Neither you nor any of your sons are ever going to be on the throne of David. 
that broke the messianic line. But it's wonderful that there was another seed of David, another line that came from David, that did not have the curse. And it's interesting that God uses Zerubbabel to bring those two lines back together again. They will diverge again for a short while, but you'll find that Joseph came from the line that was cursed, but Mary came from the line that was not cursed. And so the Lord Jesus Christ had to be born of a virgin, or he would not have been able to be on the throne of David. He had to be from the line of, uh, of Mary's side without Joseph's uh, line in him. And uh, we'll take some time to study that a little more thoroughly. I don't want to confuse you by it, but it's a very interesting study how God has to bring judgment on Jehoiakim and, uh, and curses him and his family. And yet it doesn't foil his plan for the Messiah and the redemption of mankind. God's plan is always perfect, and it's always right. And uh, we'll take some time to explain a little bit of that next week. Uh, not that we'll go into a deep study of it, but we'll show you a little bit about that. And it is interesting to note, because you'll find as you study about the Christmas uh, account in the New Testament, that in Matthew, uh, we find a genealogy back through Joseph's line, and uh, goes back uh, to uh, Solomon, I believe it is. And then uh, in Luke, he gives a genealogy that goes back through Mary's line and all the way back to Adam and Eve. And uh, so uh, there's a reason why there were two different genealogies given. And we'll look at that a little bit more next week. Uh, wonderful, wonderful message. Uh, the Christ uh, of Haggai is seen. Uh, Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, gives a decree allowing the Jews to return back to the homeland so that they can rebuild the temple. This begins a time clock. Uh, that decree from Cyrus begins a time clock uh, to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 69 weeks from the day of the decree till he rode into Jerusalem uh, on the Palm Sunday. Uh, so we see again uh, the decree that was given for them to rebuild the temple is, is referenced here in Haggai. Uh, very interesting that we see that that is very much uh, a part of the coming of the Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, we also find that Zerubbabel... Uh, becomes the center uh, of the Messianic line again and brings it back into uh, the, the ability for things to, to, to work out the way that God said. He was chosen by God. He was a signet that was sent to seal the branches of the lineage of the Messiah together. And uh, we'll take some time to read in Jeremiah and some other places next week a little bit about the curse that took place and how that all reconciles uh, through the genealogies that are given in Matthew and in Luke. Sometimes we say, boy, the genealogies, Pastor, those are boring. Uh, they're very, very important. They are very important. They have some great truth in them and uh, things that we need to understand. Uh, the key theme is the reconstruction of the temple. Key verses are chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where God says, consider your ways. And uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 7 uh, through 9 where he talks about the glory of the latter house being greater than that of the first house. And the key chapter is chapter uh, number 2. And uh, so we'll deal with uh, a little bit more of this next week, just kind of by way of follow-up. I don't know that we'll take the entire hour to do so, uh, but we'll have a brief time of, of studying that. And then we have two books left in the Old Testament, and uh, we'll try to get those finished up in a timely manner. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it as we've learned from it today. Uh, Lord, may we take to heart the truths that are illustrated so clearly, and uh, may we apply them to our lives. 
Help us to be more like You. And I pray that You would help us to have a heart that is yielded and sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit, that when You bring...